Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. The Killer Women Vodcast is pleased to be a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. To learn more about Danielle and her books, visit her at www.daniellegirard.com and to access all of our vodcasts, go to youtube.com forward slash authors on the air. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with over 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Allison Brennan. Allison is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 40 thrillers and numerous short stories. She lives in Arizona with her family, and her newest book, The Wrong Victim, was released in April. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I'm really thrilled to be here. I love Authors on the Air and, and your podcast, so this is absolutely fabulous. Yes, well, uh, Pam uh, Stack is a very big fan of yours, and she couldn't uh, get you into my hands fast enough, which was so much fun. So I loved The Wrong Victim. I'm Thank immediately you. taken in by this cast of characters, and you do such a fabulous job uh, making them all sort of pop, which is hard with a whole you know, you've got a team here. So tell tell the those of us who haven't read or those of who haven't read this book yet, tell us a little bit about The Wrong Victim. Okay, well, The Wrong Victim is the third book in my Quinn and Costa series. And I, I like to think that they stand alone because I have a complete mystery. Um, and I try when I'm writing a series like this to any character growth is going to be slow and secondary to the plot. So I like to think that if people pick up the third book in the series, they're not going to feel lost. I mean, even though obviously personal stuff happens. So this book um, in particular, I really loved it because the, the second book I wrote was set in Arizona in the summer. So it was really hot. And in this book, I said, okay, I need to have water because I want it to be a little cooler. So I picked the San Juan Islands and I partly picked the San Juan Islands because I had um, a story idea. And the only thing I knew about the story was that I wanted an explosion, a boat. Like a boat needs to explode and my team has to come in and figure out you know, what happened. Um, the premise of my series is Matt Costa is leading the mobile response team for the FBI. And they're a small group of the best of the best who travel to very small rural or underserved communities, basically areas in the country that maybe don't have a crime lab, don't have extensive forensic details, have a very small police department, are not equipped to handle um, certain crimes like a serial killer or in the case of um, this book, there was an explosion on a boat and they didn't know if it was a terrorist act, if it was domestic terrorism, they didn't know if it was you know, a grievance, employee grievance, they had no idea. But in a, a county, San Juan County only has 15,000 people in the entire right. county um, and 7,000 on the main island. So uh, they, they had no idea. So in comes Matt and his team the ATF takes over the bomb investigation. So I, this is one of those things that <laughs> I can't have too much in the story. And the focus was really trying to find out one, who was the target of the explosion? Was it the company or was it an individual in, on the boat? Right. And then solving that crime. So find the target and then find the killer. Well, one of the things is I, I did learn a lot about bombs and bomb making. Right. 
but I did I could have okay I could have gone into more detail on the ATF side but that just didn't interest me as much right so I have a friend of mine who's a retired ATF agent who said okay well this is what they would do and then I can then just send one of my characters who's an expert on this he could just tell them Right, this right. I like that. He was on the mainland to... dealing with it from Seattle and we didn't have a whole, we, it was still being managed, right. But he was not uh, in good, uh, good Friday Harbor with the rest of the characters. That, that was very effective. I didn't, I didn't wonder, you know, what was happening because we were always touching base with, um, with him about the, of the bombs. So. Yeah. Cause you know, you have to know, and you have to know that they're doing their investigation. Right. They have forensics they need to do. They can test the C4 to find out um, what the components are so they can compare it to any other part that was, you know, made at the same time so they can figure out where it came from. So they all do that kind of off the page, but you right. know, it's being done, yes. but that's not the core part of the story, even though they have to have that information to solve the crime. So, um, but that was my, my premise was, a boat explodes, people die, what happens? I actually completely pictured the first chapter before yeah. I figured out anything that was going on. I had no idea who the target was. Right. I had no idea who the killer was. I just said, this would make a really good opening chapter. And then I wrote it. Well, that I, that's what you said in your acknowledgement. You mentioned that the seed came, it was just a, a, boat, a boat exploding, which is interesting because like, as you said, you know, your, your mobile response team is not necessarily at a at a place where there's a boat so you're like all of a sudden like okay well this can't happen in arizona i mean i guess it, it could have happened on you know lake powell or something but 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 it didn't so you took us to a totally different place is that how your ideas you know in general is this how it happens for you explain your process when a new book idea comes what usually comes first well when i'm sometimes i have like kind of cool plot ideas and sometimes i say okay well what are my characters going to get into next I don't really have one set way of doing it usually it's a spark when I'm writing a series like for example um the Quinn and Costa series I picture the explosion I say okay well how is my team right. going to solve this crime and what are they going to do and where does it need to be set and how can I best use their skills right um if I didn't think that this idea was right for them then I would have probably put it aside or used it for a Lucy Kincaid book or another book. Right. Um, for example, I um, the fourth book in the series, I knew I wanted to set it in, obviously it has to be set in a small town and they travel all over the country. And I really, really, really wanted to write a book in the South, you know, just kind of, cause it's so atmospheric and, and I just, right. and I love the South and I, my best friend lives in Louisiana and my grandpa's from Alabama. And so I kind of, I'm very familiar with the area. I've been there a lot. And so I was reading some true crime and I just had a little nugget of an idea based on a real life case. And I said, it, it's an unsolved um, uh, case. And I said, oh, I want to solve that crime. <laughs> so I, I'm going to solve the crime. So I read everything I could about it because it's an unsolved case. And then I said, okay, how can I get my characters in this little teeny town? Right. So I, that's kind of how I figured it out. Cause I wanted to write something. Obviously I didn't, it's not exactly the way the real life crime is, but I kind well, of use the solved. idea. <laughs> you have in to solve books, it. They do. <laughs> so yeah. We have to solve these crimes. No unsolved crimes in our stories. So I, no. you know, one of the things I love so much about, uh, you know, I love so much about um, the wrong victim and um, is this 
the team dynamics, right? Um, and particularly, I want to talk about the women because, you know, of course, this is killer women. We talk about women, and Matt is a wonderful character. So, uh, and there's actually, I loved all, you know, all the characters are very different and, and very um, strong, very easy to distinguish, which you do a really good job. Like I said, I think dealing with a team is, and as you said, you know, we can, I walked into the um, the wrong victim. I haven't read book one and two, although now, of course, I'm going to have to go back because I, I love the team so much. But, um, I wanted to talk about sort of the dynamic between Kara Quinn and, and Catherine Jones. And I think I, I'm gonna leave it to you to, to tell us a little bit about those two. And I wanna talk about sort of what were the seeds for that dynamic? Cause they are two very strong women, very different styles. And there's a bit of a you know conflict between them. That's really interesting for the story. Well, I, I mean, I think it's important that you have different obviously different characters you don't want them to all be the same person and they all have different backstories they all have different backgrounds and so I kind of put myself in their shoes when I'm in their point of view so Kara I know really really well because she um well okay this is a little I know I digress and I go off on tangent no this it's good thing. I love it in the first book I wrote she was not supposed to be a recurring character it no. wasn't going to be her book it she uh, discovered the body. She was on leave from LAPD, yeah. administrative leave after a, a officer involved shooting. And she was visiting her grandmother in Liberty Lake where she came upon a dead body. That was a, it was a serial killer case, uh, book. And so she came across this dead body and became involved with the investigation. And it was the first case of the mobile response team. Matt was very short staffed. So he used her because she one found the body. She is a cop. So she has all this expertise and she was from the area so she could help be a liaison with the local small right. community cops. Right. So it was like, but I fell in love with her. As soon as I got in her head, I she wasn't imagine. supposed, first of all, I thought she might die in the book. And I said, okay, well, I'm not gonna kill her off. Maybe she'll just be like Matt's love interest and just come back later on down the right. road. But by the time I was done with the book, I said, I have to bring her into the series. Right. She is just too good. So she, um, she really developed organically and I knew who she was. I yeah. feel like I know her really well. Catherine, um, so basically Kara never went to college. She joined the police right. academy right after high school. She is a, essentially a cop at heart. That's all she wants to do. Yeah. And she was undercover for many years. Catherine is kind of the exact opposite. She is a forensic psychiatrist. She went to um, you know, medical school. She became a psychiatrist. She went then went into Quantico and worked for the behavioral sciences unit. So she's more of an academic. She works in the field in the sense that all FBI agents have to be able to work in the field. That's actually part of their charter. They, right. You don't get like just, if you're an agent, you have to be field certified. So she's, but she is used to being, um, the smartest girl in the room. I think Kara tells her that at one point. She's um, very reasoned, very yeah. methodical. Right. Um, a lot of people didn't like her, and I understand that. But it, when you understand her backstory, I think it doesn't necessarily justify some of the things that she said and did uh, to Kara. But at the same time, I understood mm -hmm. her. And while I think she's very complex, I still like her. And I know a lot of people don't. So I'm going to have to find a way, not well, necessarily to redeem her, 
yeah. per se, but to give her a little bit more depth so that people don't have this visceral reaction. Oh my gosh, she's such a bitch. Well, yeah, she is kind of a bitch, but so is Kara sometimes. Right. Well, I think it's interesting because there is, she's very protective of Matt, which I think is really interesting, right? Is that, is that while Kara is the love interest, she obviously has a lot of, Catherine has a lot of history with Matt. And I think there's a lot to be said for that sort of protectiveness Although she's also angry a little bit with Matt, we won't get into too many details about that because it's it's a very it's a really interesting part of the story. And I actually love the fact that she's that they're sort of both protective of him. Um, you know, Catherine does not want his job, to, his position to suffer for Kara. And Kara is, you know, you can see she's a little bit of a loose cannon, right? I mean, she does. She works very much on gut instinct. She she sort of sometimes leaps before she thinks. Um, it makes her a wonderful character, but on the flip side, I, I think Catherine as a sort of sobering, rational force is also, you know, wonderful. And I mean, who would you rather spend in, a night in a bar with? No question, right, Kara? <laughs> but um, but having both of them on the team, and I, I see, I think there's a lot to do with to understand her sort of, you know, the, the aspects of of whatever happened with her sister and and Matt's part uh, in that history. So I like them both, but. Um, yeah, you'll, I'm, I have a, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, Allison. This is books and books and books worth <laughs> of stuff to unpack. I love that. So, um, hey, so we just talked about this actually a tiny bit before the show started. So it looks like really, this is the, um, the and obviously you, you decided to include her because now the series is not just called the Costa series, it's the Costa and Quinn series. So you, you, you're stuck with her um for you know at least for a while hopefully you you stick with her um <laughs> and it looks like you almost always write series so let's talk about that I mean it looks like maybe you had one exception 36 is is perhaps an exception so what's tell me why why the series um you know why the love of series and how was 36 different okay well um I write series because that's what my publisher wants Yes, right. Um, so Why my, is that? My very first book was called The Prey, and I wrote it as a standalone. Mm -hmm. And I, you probably remember this because you you've been a writer for a long time. You know, back Nora Roberts used to write these trilogies where she would have like three sisters or three brothers, yes. Yes. and she would write one book about each of them. Well, I love that. I love those romantic suspense books, and I love that kind of structure. Um, and I was kind of thinking that in The Prey, but I ended up killing off a major character. So I was gonna to have to figure out how to do that. Um, my, but I wrote it essentially as a standalone. When I sold the book, um, they wanted to make it a trilogy. They said, can you find a way to connect uh, this book with two others? So I went in rewrites, I actually created uh, Rowan, who was the main character, the heroine of the book. Um, I just created two friends for her that were also FBI agents. They all went through the academy together. So mm -hmm. each book is about one of them. So I kind of kept that concept, but they're very, very loosely connected. Right. So, you know, because each one stands alone. So they are standalones, but they're connected trilogies. Right. Then when I wanted to write a Lucy Kincaid series, my publisher said, oh, that's a great idea. She was a character in a previous book. And so I wrote her series and I really enjoyed it and publishers tend to like known quantities right. so they know okay this is the Lucy Kincaid series we know how to sell that right. I did a Maxine Revere cold case mystery series they okay well this is this and so when I came up with um 
the MRT series. It wasn't called Quinn and Cost. It was called Mobile Response Team. But obviously, that's a little bit <laughs> yes. a lot of it's a lot to say. Yeah. Um, when I came up with the concept, I was after talking to an FBI agent, a uh, friend of mine who's retired FBI, and I had this idea for a long time based on the evidence response teams, which you probably know about from yep. your research. Um, every regional office has one, and they essentially are a team of agents who specialize in something. So they get advanced training with something. So I wanted that, but I wanted it on the national level. So my friend, Steve and I were going back and forth and he says, well, but they don't really have it. And I said, but they have a hostage rescue team that can go to all these right. different communities. So right. why couldn't they have a mobile response <laughs> right. team? And he goes, okay, it's plausible. And so as soon as he said that, then I developed it. And I actually wrote the first book on spec. It, I didn't sell the book before it was done. And so my agent went to auction with it. Um, nice. So we sold it. Lucy's with uh, Minotaur and then mm. um, MRT is with uh, uh, Mira. So uh, that was that was fun. I did develop this as a series. Yeah. 36 was actually a novella. It's not a full length book. And I wrote okay. it for a charity auction, oh, wow. a charity, not an auction, a charity um, group. Uh, and so Story Plant actually published it in their anthology. And then I published it when I got my rights back. I kind of edited it, expanded a little bit. And it is a totally a standalone. Those characters, I love them, but I don't know if they'll, um, you know, if I would ever bring them back. Uh, I do have other stories that kind of stand alone, but I use characters for my books and then I right. write them into different stories. But my now, very first standalone is coming out next year. Yeah, you said that. So tell us a little bit. That, that's, that was really interesting. And it's set up by me. You set that one in Montana. So tell us a little bit yes. about that one. Well, it comes out next August and it's called North of Nowhere. And I just got the title. I have not seen a cover yet. I, love I just it. turned in the revisions. It's set in a storm and a plane crash. And it's a race against time where you know, bad guys are chasing kids through the wilderness. And it's, I will say that I absolutely loved writing this book. And it was a book that took a long time because I actually, I wrote it five or six years ago and I sent it to my agent and he's like going, oh, I don't <laughs> think this really works. And, and I completely gutted it, rewrote it. Originally it was set in the Adirondacks. Mm -hmm. I then said when I changed kind of the whole premise of the book it still has the plane crash and the two kids that's the only thing that stayed wow but I moved it to Montana which I know much better because I'm from the west I'm in northern California my husband went to college in Montana as I yep. told you so I'm a lot more familiar with western states and the terrain and how to do this and also um Barb Heinland helped me a lot oh, yeah. with yeah you probably know her I do with, yeah some of the research that I needed, um, yeah. especially about uh, the, just the terrain. And then my yeah. brother-in-law is a wildlife biologist and he helped me with the animals that my characters are going to encounter, oh my which gosh. includes a moose. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're around for sure. Um, that's so exciting. Well, um, so I have a question. So when, you know, are you, when you're developing a story, um, you obviously have a, a premise. It's like when we talked about um, the wrong victim and the, the explosion. Are you? How do you? How does the story develop from there? Are you a, a plotter, or a pantser? Um, how does it sort of develop? I do not plot. 
I will never plot. I, I had to write a long synopsis once for my editor because for a variety of reasons and writing that book nearly killed me because right. I had this 12 page synopsis and then things weren't working and I wasn't excited because I knew what was going to happen. And if I know who the bad guy is, it's not fun. I like to figure it out as my characters figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I call myself an organic writer because I don't like the word pantser. It's yeah, pantser. it does sound a little bit yeah. like we're not prepared for anything. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, isn't there something? But uh, the between? story just, you know, I, to me, I, I mean, character is the most important thing because I don't think anybody's going to read a book just because it has a really cool plot. Um, I, it, you really have to have a great character uh, to go with it or characters. and. So that's kind of where I probably lean to developing the characters and then putting them into situations that I think are going to challenge them. And then just follow sort of how, what they just make the decisions and that's sort of where the story leads. Yeah. I mean, they, they're confronted with a crime because obviously I write crime thrillers. Right. They're confronted with something, an explosion on the boat or a dead body or a serial killer or whatever mm -hmm. it happens to be. Um, what are they going to do next? So in the book that comes out next year in the Quinn and Costa series, it's called Seven Girls Gone. It starts with a local detective in a fictional bayou town in Louisiana. Um, I made it fictional because- Seven Girls Gone. <laughs> yeah. I had right? to make it, yeah, I had to make it fictional, but I, because um, it's a very, very small town, but people that live in the area are going to know what I modeled it after. And so he was a former um, Navy and he's friends with Michael Harris. They had served together. So okay. he arrests somebody who killed a bartender and the guy he arrested said, and this all happens in the first chapter, so I'm not giving too much away. He basically says, hey, let me go and I will tell you who killed um, these girls. And, you know, my cop has been investigating these crimes and he really wants this information, but he right. can't in good conscience let this killer go. Right. So he says, well, I'll work with you. I'll, I'll get you protective custody. I'll do whatever we can, but I, I, I can't let you go. We'll see what we can do. Well, the guy's killed in prison. And so my detective great realizes, right, yeah, he realizes setup. he's totally in over his head. And right. did, did Jean Paul know anything or was he just trying to get out? Because right. he did give him a little bit of a clue, you know, hey, this, I have this information, I'm going to give it to you, and I have more. Um, so Bo, the detective, ends up calling Michael Harris, who was his longtime friend from the Navy, right. says, I need your help. And yeah. so then my team comes down there into this little teeny town, and I had so much, I hate to say I had fun writing a book, because it's a really kind of violent book. <laughs> I did have fun writing it. Well, I mean... That's the whole, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I kind of feel the same way. I'm I'm not a plotter either, although sometimes I wish I were because it's, I can go, I can really lead myself into sort of crazy <laughs> <laughs> far off pastures where I don't belong. But um, I, I understand what you say about like sort of just the, the process of discovering the, the what happens is really what drives us back to the computer sort of over and over. What will this person do? And, you know, what will the, the bad guy respond by doing? And, and how do we you know, that's how we get to sort of, that's the magic of it, right? Is the, is the discovery pro process. So, and you've been doing this a long time. I think actually similarly long to me, when was your first book out? December of 2005. 
Okay, okay. My first book came out in 2000. So we've been at this a long time. But um, so, yeah. and also you, I mean, we talked, this is another thing I have to ask you about. Of course, it's in your, it's in your bio too. Allison, you have how many children? <laughs> five. I have five kids. Five I sold, children. I sold my first book when I was pregnant with number five. Oh, so, my goodness. And so, he just yeah. turned 18. So you're an, an, almost an empty nester? Well, are we ever truly empty nesters? No, no um, we're definitely not. So my 18-year-old just graduated from high school. He's going to stay here for two years while he goes to community college. And my daughter is 19, and she's going to college and living at home. Um, and then my son is 21, and he is um, goes to Texas Tech. Okay. And so he's here for the summer and then he'll go back. Um, well, he's kind of here and not here. He's go does, he's right in California now visiting his friends, but, um, and so he has one more year and then he graduates with a degree in math. I don't know where he got that because not for me, <laughs> right. um, but he, uh, and then I have two other kids that are older, 28 and 26. And my oldest is a cop. So she is Phoenix PD. Yay. So and cool. my number two works for Penguin Random House in New York. In oh my God, how funny. Right. Yeah. That's that's the one that's, I guess, closest to following in your footsteps, huh? Well, she's an artist. So she she does the ebook design okay. for Penguin Random House. She works in their ebook department and does a lot of the um, like, you know, in ebooks where you you have where you if you have like art that are in books, yeah, you have to be able to format it in such a way that it could be read on any e-reader. Yes. So all that interesting. Stuff, that's what she that's what she does. That's really cool. Well, good for her. Well, and it's got to be nice to have a cop in the family because then you can call and say, "What do you do when?" Right. Although now, so many books later, you probably know most of it. But well, I've I mean, I've been on ride along since before she graduated from high school. So right. I do. Uh, have a lot of cop friends and a lot yes. of friends yes. that are you know military or first responders and right dispatchers and everything so I I tap into them whenever I need to but it is nice to have Katie around because she um she works graveyard so often uh, I walk early every morning so often I'm walking because obviously Arizona you have to walk in the morning yeah um, that's right I'll be going on my walk and she'll be getting off shift. And so she'll call me and then we'll chat and I'll ask her about what her right. cases were and stuff. And, oh, what did, what did she get called out to? And she has like some crazy, crazy, crazy I'll stuff. I'll bet, I'll bet. Does it make you nervous? Um, A little, I think, but you know, I think all moms are nervous about their kids and right. you know, no matter what they do. I mean, I have friends of mine that their kids are in the military and I know, you know right. they worry about them. And, of course. Um, you know, anytime Katie had said, and I, she's, she would actually make an interesting character in, in a book. And she had <laughs> said, um, they went to this small um, non-denominational Christian school and they had this Bible class where they were talking, well, how, what do you, how do you want to die? And I don't know why they talk about this in Bible class, but how do you want to die? How do you want to be remembered? And her best friend said, I want to be at 99 years old and die in my sleep. And Katie right. said, and this was like, she was like 14 or 15 years old. She goes, I want to die saving someone's life. Oh, wow. Which makes me nervous because I know right. she has no fear. Um, but she is well-trained. I mean, honestly, Phoenix PD is probably one of the best trained police departments. What they, ha what they go through is That's so, awesome. you know, it's, 
I know. We're all, there's, there's no way to not be nervous, but yeah, there, there are those positions where you think, um, but you know, good for her. Wow. I mean, we need this, we need really good police officers, right? I mean, it's not an easy job. And I think one of the things that probably you and I appreciate together are, you know, what it, what it really means to be doing that job, right? When you get, when your characters are police officers and, and, and in the law enforcement system, it's, I have a lot of respect for, a lot of respect for them admiration and i also too scared i would never i could never <laughs> I wouldn't do, do that. it either yeah exactly no thank you i'll just sit here behind the the safety of my little computer screen so so you had um guys so you were writing books and raising babies and how did you do that mm -hmm. did you find you know were you up early in the morning i mean with an infant it doesn't really matter when you're up it's well when i started writing um it was right after luke was born my number three brennan number three and after Luke was born, he would get up at 4.30 in the morning and then I'd feed him and then he'd go back to sleep. But I didn't want to go back to sleep because I had to get up and go to, I worked full time too. Yeah. So I would started by writing every single morning for two hours after, you know, and I put him in his little bouncy chair next to me, whether he was asleep or not, he was a, he was a really good baby. So I was lucky. Um, and then after he ate and then I would just write. When I was pregnant with Mary, I was too tired to get up that early and he had been sleeping longer. So I started writing every night and I gave up television yeah. for three years. So I wrote every night from nine to midnight. And then I would get up at 6.30, get ready for work, get the kids up. Cause I worked in the legislature. Um, I didn't quit until after I sold a book, obviously. Um, and, you know, so it was just juggling. It was just being committed yeah. to writing every single night when the kids were in bed. Then once I sold and was writing, oh, this is so funny. Once it was sold and I was writing uh, full-time, I said, oh, I'll take the kids out of daycare. I need to save money because, you know, you don't get a lot of money in your first contract. It was a huge leap of faith that, I mean, it was it was a good contract, but if I didn't sell another one, then I would right. have to go back to my job. Right. So I said, I'm going to take the kids out of daycare, my three little ones, and because um, my older girls were in school already, and I will, you know, they'll be good. They'll watch TV, they'll play. They're all about the same age because, you know, they're born in 010, 010, 03, and 04. And um, no, I was exhausted. I'll bet. I was exhausted because they are so energetic and I ah. made cookies and I had to make sure they didn't kill each other. And I, right. you know, it was, it was awful. I didn't worry about cleaning the house. I, I gave that up before they were ever born. So, um, but I was just, it was exhausting. So I ended up putting the, my son who was a little older, I put him in preschool and then I put the two little ones in daycare three days a week. Yeah. And so, because there was just no yeah. way I was going to get exactly. And you I was too tired at night. Right. So I couldn't even do the, the nine to midnight anymore because I was physically exhausted. Of course. So when you work when you work full time, you can be mentally exhausted, but your body can usually, okay, you know, you have a cup of coffee at night, you could sit down and you could, you know, write because you didn't actually physically chase little kids all over the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> take I them know. to the park and take them swimming. <laughs> yeah, I have so much admiration for, for women who are, you know, especially these last few years, right? The women who had to homeschool and, and all of that. But I think it's true. You know, it's a, it's a different level of exhaustion. And I would find when I was working full-time, which I did, you know, and literally in, until sort of my fifth book was out, it, 
I, I worked full time because I, I had a lunch hour where I could write. I had a commute where I could write. <laughs> and it was, that is not what, you don't get either of those things when you um, are at home with your kids. It's so no. hard. Well, good for <laughs> you. So you do, when you sat down, um, did you find that you sort of thought about what you were going to write beforehand? That was another thing I felt like you sort of, if you only have two hours, right, you sort of had to do some pre-work. Is that, was that true for you? Or you just sort of got there and it was, it was there? Well, I used to write what I'd call a sloppy copy, mm -hmm. you know, where I basically sat down and wrote the whole book all the way through. And then I had to completely rewrite the book because, yeah. you know, right. it wasn't working. And I didn't, when I first started writing, I didn't really know what would work and what wouldn't work. Um, I sold my fifth book. So the first four books I wrote never, you know, seen yeah. the light of day, which is fine. Yeah. I learned from each one of them how to write a story. Right. Um, now I actually edit as I go, which I didn't used to do. So I would, I will like write all day or however long. And then the next day, I'll sit down and I'll reread what I wrote the day before and get back on to track. So it's sort of like this, you know? Yes, it's like, yep. And that and helps, then, right? It helps to sort of, it cleans it up. And then you're also, now you're in the, you're in the mind again. Now, do exactly. you find, do you write all day? Like, that's another thing I think really interesting. I, I talked to Iris Johansson uh, a couple of weeks ago and she, that woman says she sometimes spends 12 hours at the computer and she's 84. So I thought, wow, wow. that is a lot <laughs> more time than I can spend. I, there's a, there's a max for me. What about you? Do you, is it every single day? Is there a sort of, I start then and tell us how I write looks. every day. No, I do write every day. I, I think it's important, even if I'm not writing per se, I need to be, you know, researching or editing or doing something. So I do sit down every day. I have written 12 hours. I think actually the most I ever did was 17 hours because I was on a roll and it was the last act of the book and I had right. to get it out. Right. I was also on a tight deadline because my publisher moved up my publication date. So it was like, I just was going to sit there until I got it done. Um, but usually it's, it's hard to say a minimum of four hours a day. Yeah. That's my bare minimum that I have to, you know, work because obviously this is my job too. Right. Right. But I would probably say, and I do take, I didn't used to take breaks and now I've begun to start taking breaks in the middle of the day, just because I need to get up and walk around when you're 50. Right. Your body. I'm and, familiar. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, I, I need to get up and walk. So I walk every morning. I walk a couple miles every morning and then I will sit down and I probably work until lunchtime. And then I'll like take a break at lunch and then yes. sit back down. And when the kids were in school, I was pretty consistent that I would write from eight in the morning when they left until three or three thirty, and you know when I they had sports or whatever. And I wrote pretty much that entire time. Yeah. Other than yeah. maybe a, a lunch break. Um, now, and then I would also write at night if I was on deadline. I'll, I'll admit it. I I I don't really have a very good. <laughs> <laughs> self-control if I'm on a roll I'll write at night yeah now I'm I pretty much keep the same schedule I just usually take a longer break at lunch and then yeah. write later into the evening until dinner so yeah minimum four hours generally six to eight hours a day. yeah yeah I like actually it's now that the house is quiet we're we actually have nobody living with us at the moment <laughs> um <laughs> both kids are elsewhere I mean they're here for the summer but they're elsewhere during the school year and I actually think it's really nice to come back down 
to the, you know, in the evening. If it's a different energy than, than, than writing during the day, you know, you're, it's a little quieter. Um, my body's more physically exhausted. So, you know, just from the day of whatever. And so sometimes my brain works better. I like to, I like the flexibility. And my husband's always like, wait, you're going back to work now when we're supposed to be, you know, we should be relaxing with a glass of wine. And I'm like, but these people are talking to me. So I have to go if you'll excuse me. So yeah, well, I'll you, take the wine to my computer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't hurt either, right? There is something to that. Um, you, um, I mean, you are incredibly prolific. So your first book came out in 2005 and you published how many books? Well, uh, my the standalone will be number 46. So I, mean, I have- 44, 44 comes out in January, 45 comes out in April, and then 46 comes out in August. So three books a year. You are insane. Well, but this year there's only one. So oh, okay. this year I only so have we'll the one victim. Two books. I, but a I year. do average 2.5 books a year is really what it probably is. That is so impressive. And I'm assuming you're not writing two books at once. You write one book, finish it. But you must be editing. And I mean, that's the thing about this industry. How does, how yeah, does that work? And basically, I try to only write like the first draft, work on one book at a time. Right. But if I get copy edits for another book, I have to put that book aside. And then I'll work just on the copy edits and get those done. And Because they those are our deadline. You know, right. they have to be right. turned in at a certain time. Send those back. And then I'll go back to the book. And then when I usually go back to the book, I'll read it from the beginning and get back into it and then finish it. Okay. So now it was kind of funny. I actually had three books completely done that I had not had revision notes on. Oh my So gosh. I had three books in to um, two into Mira and one into uh, Minotaur, my standalone. And all three books were done and I had no revision notes. And so I'm working on my next contracted book, but it was really hard to focus on it. It's the next Quinn and Costa book. And this one is actually set in Los Angeles, but I am um, not a small town, but there's a reason for that. Um, yes. I, and I was like, well, I had these three books I need to revise and I could not get into the right. Quinn and Costa book. It was just really um, difficult. So I actually ended up writing the first um five or six chapters of a new idea I had just because it was really hard to get into the fifth Quinn and Costa book when I was waiting for revisions on the fourth Quinn and Costa book. Right, right. And all those revisions, you have to sort of feel like, because there's a sense of like, oh no, we're getting, you know, we've got this book coming and, you know, there's revisions coming and you know, you're going to get interrupted. So you're kind of like, can I get interrupted now? Because I'd rather just be done with it than they have it come like in a month when I'm you know, totally absorbed in something else. So I can totally yeah, exactly. see that. So where yeah. this new, new idea, you are a machine. What, um, <laughs> what, what is that, um, you know? Well, I haven't sold it yet, so I'm not gonna yeah. exactly say yes. that if I do, it'll be, a, it'll be a different kind of series. I mean, it'll still be a crime thriller because that's what I write. That's what right. I'm good at. It's what I love to do. It'll just be kind of uh, different kinds of characters, different, it, um, not directly law enforcement driven. Okay. So, okay. So hope, I if I sell it. it, 
if I right. if I sell this and and my editor loves the concept, then um, I will let you know, and then you we can do another fun interview. I know that's so good. <laughs> well, okay. So um, tell us, there's a lot happening here, Allison, that we need to keep track of. So where's the okay. best place for people to? I know, well, in a, in a good way, it's incredibly exciting. So what's the what's the best place, for people? Your website to check out, sort of where you know, so people can get caught up on, um, you know, on the Lucy Kincaid series and the Costa and Quinn series and the standalones. Is that the best place for folks to go? Yeah, allisonbrennan.com. And I try to update the webpage at least, um, usually about three months before a book okay. comes out, I'll update it so all the information is there. Um, and I'll keep it updated. I use WriterSpace, so they, they'll update it yes. for me if I have like pre-orders and stuff like that. Fantastic. Um, then I also have just launched a new blog. I used to have a blog called Murder, She Writes. So if you go to MurderSheWrites.com now, it okay. goes to um, my Murder, She Writes page at Substack, where I'm trying to now write regular articles on writing, reading, book. I do book reviews. So fun. And I will eventually start having some classes for writers over there because oh. they make it really easy to do that. That's wonderful. God, so do you sleep? I just have to ask. It seems like maybe not that much. <laughs> well, now that What's I, your only secret? Two, I only have two kids at home. So it's like, I have to find things to do and keep myself, you know. That is, that occupied. is inc incredible. Well, that's so, okay. So the, we've got um, the, the Wrong Victim is out right now. And the very next book coming out is what? The next book is Don't Open the Door. Okay. It's the uh, sequel to the sorority murder. Okay. Um, when I say sequel, it has a, it has the same character, but completely different story. So, so the sorority murder stands alone as well. It, it does stand alone because there's only one common character. So okay. in the sorority murder, which came out in December, um, Regan Merritt is a former U.S. Marshal. And she helped solve a cold case um, on her former campus, uh, NAU in Flagstaff, Arizona. Yeah. The second book in the series that comes out, or, or a sequel, because there's only going to be two, it comes out in January. She goes back to Virginia, where she had been the marshal, and to um, her son had been murdered, uh, oh. her 10-year-old, and that's why she had moved back to Flagstaff. Now her former boss is killed while he's investigating that case. So she oh. goes back there. So it's a very emotional story. Yeah. She has to face, it, it was a lot more emotional than I usually write, but Regan is uh, a very calm, methodical uh, person. She's she's the kind of person that will never speak unless she actually thinks about what she's saying, unlike me, that I just laugh <laughs> right, me all too. the time. Right. So Regan was a really interesting character to write for me because she's really kind of the opposite of, of me. She's extremely methodical. She's very, very logical. She's very well-trained. And her ex-husband basically thought she was cold because, you know, she right, right. sees everything and she knows exactly what the solution is. And she doesn't like the, all the like little give and take in marriage. She's just like, well, right. no, this is the solution. What right. I don't understand why you have the problem. So she was a very different character and um, getting in her head was kind of interesting. It sounds so that so comes fun. out in January. Okay. And okay. And then, um, then Seven Girls Dawn comes out in April and that's the fourth Quinn and Costa book. Okay. Okay. Wow. God, this is so exciting. Okay. So really we should just, we should check you out on <laughs> alisonpennon.com. There's so much there to read. Um, 40, it'll be 46 books as of the, when these, these three are out. That's 
Incredible. Well, this was fabulous. I, I, I've read some of your stuff in the past. It's been a while. I'm back in it. And I do love, um, I particularly really love Kara Quinn and, and her relationship with Matt. So I will be finding my way back to the uh, first two and looking forward to Seven Girls Gone. And I hope you'll join us again next time to talk about um, some of these other, your, the characters really, that is a thing you do super, super well, Allison. I love, love your Thank characters. You. So, and Thank they are so very much. different. You know, that's really, um, that's even the one, even the, the woman you just, uh, you know, talking about, she sounds so fascinating. So um, congratulations on all your success and, and uh, it was really lovely. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. I really liked being here. So this is Killer Women and my guest today was Allison Brennan. Join us next time. We'll see you all soon and happy reading. Bye.